I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the Racket Magazine podcast is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, offering iconic tracksuits, classic polos, and the new Youngline sneaker. Originally designed in the mid-1980s, it's our favorite spring silhouette, and it's back. You can get it now at SergioTacchini.com, and follow them on Instagram at SergioTacchini underscore official for updates. Enter the promo code RACKETMAG at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your order. Welcome to another edition of the Racket Magazine podcast. Okay, this week is a good one. Not that the last couple of weeks haven't been great, and thank you for listening, but this is a podcast that I walked away from for the first time and thought, man, oh man, did I learn a lot from somebody today. And I wished so much that I had had her brain when I was playing. And I told her, man, I I could go back and actually play again, having, having listened to her philosophies on meditation, on mindfulness, on projections of what her ability can do, the things that she would write down. I mean, I learned so much about Bianca Andreescu in this podcast, and I also learned why, why this young woman is not only super successful already, but why she's going to continue to be successful in her future career. Obviously, we're all in, uh, you know, basically quarantine. We're all at home. We're all dealing with uh, our own issues right now. Um, And so I'm sending out all my best, uh, Caitlin and I, my buddy. uh, We all want you to be safe um, and be healthy. But one thing you can do, if you want, you can meditate. And if you don't meditate after uh, listening to this edition of the Racket Magazine, um, then you, you didn't really listen. Uh, because this young woman is so exceptional. I enjoyed every second of it. I could have talked to her for hours and hours and hours, and hopefully maybe one day we'll get to talk to her again. Excuse the audio. She was in Canada. I'm in New York. We were calling through a um, conference line. It was not the best, um, but you know, really try your best to listen. Um, as you know, it's been a little tough with uh, COVID-19 and trying to get players um, and get great audio, but uh, we're doing our best for you. Uh, you will love this episode. If you don't love Bianca Andrescu already, you will after this. 
She is an incredible young woman. And, uh, well, here we go. Tennis fans and people in general are desperate, are desperate for tennis content and to hear and from their favorite tennis players. And believe it or not, Bianca, you are one of them. Thank you. <laughs> that means so, a lot. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us for the Racket Magazine podcast. We really appreciate it. I know you're up in Canada right now. So the one of the things that I want to talk to you about is obviously how in God's green earth you got started, obviously, being in tennis. Well, I uh, did not start off with tennis. Um, I started tennis at a fairly older age than I would say most people. I started at the age of seven. I know some people start at the age of four. But um, I actually started off with ballet and skating. So I continued that for like three years. And then my parents threw me into swimming and then into soccer. So I was kind of all over the place. Um, and they basically just wanted me to stay active and find a sport that I really enjoy playing and continue doing that. They didn't think I was going to go professional or anything. Um, they kind of just wanted me to be an active person and hopefully get a scholarship into a good school with that sport. Um, but it kind of turned out into something else, which, uh, seems pretty good too. And yeah, after, um, a couple of years of playing those sports, they also threw me into tennis. And, uh, I would say that I didn't particularly enjoy it at first. I would say that I grew to love it. And once I grew to love it, I, saw that I was better at tennis than every other sport so I kind of just quit everything else and I would say at the age of 10 is when I really um played tennis uh solely just tennis and that's when I got into the Tennis Canada program so I, I want to go back to the well kind of this funny comment that you made that your parents threw you in the pool to get you to swim so that in itself is a lesson for all parents if you want your kids to do a sport just just have them survive Throw them in. Oh yeah, having yeah, knowing how to swim is a survival uh survival thing and everybody <laughs> should know how to just in case. You never know what can happen at the end of the day. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I actually I actually did No, but you're yeah. It's good. I think it's really important that I think it's really important that most parents understand that it, it is important to give a child a well rounded youth right especially before the age of like 10 and 11 and I think that was an important ingredient for you because then you discovered that tennis was really the thing that you loved the most and you felt that you were best at yeah exactly it's not like they um, wanted me to play just sport because they enjoy that sport, that sport very much um, they actually gave me the freedom to choose and I think that's um, a valuable thing that uh, we all desire. So I'm very grateful for that. I want you to um, like talk about 
in those early years, like your parents are very well-rounded people. I mean, they're very smart. They have good jobs themselves. Your dad's obviously, you know, an, an engineer. Your mom is a client officer and a financial banker. These are like regular, normal people. That that what are the things that both of them instilled in you? Because your mom is very unique in a lot of ways as well. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely something else. Um, but they didn't, they didn't start off as that, obviously. Um, they did study, uh, in Romania, but then they wanted to have a better life. So they came to Canada, but they came with nothing basically. And they didn't speak a word of English. So they had to start from scratch and what they've done up until this point is truly incredible because they, like I said, they had to start from scratch. They didn't know the language and they have achieved what they've achieved, which um, is very inspiring to me. And I don't take any second on the court for granted because I know they've done everything in their power for me to chase my dreams and that's something no one can take away from me. So I definitely have seen what it is like to be at the bottom. Um, and I would say that the most valuable thing that I've learned from my parents is definitely the determination and strength you need to have in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish basically and I think that's the most valuable thing that um they've showed me throughout throughout the years but obviously they have different um traits they've also showed me um like my mom is very outgoing she puts herself out there she doesn't give a shit excuse my language of what other people think oh, no, of you her. can swear this and is the podcast you can, you can <laughs> say whatever you want <laughs> perfect i can truly be myself now. 100%. Um, perfect um and i think i have some of those qualities in me and my dad um obviously has taught me so much i've always um been active i would say with him meaning he also he always showed me how to build things with my hands and think very logically um mm -hmm. and my mom really taught me the spiritual side of things so i i have a good balance of both <laughs> yeah i mean i, I want to get into a little bit of that mindset with you certainly going forward and obviously the u.s open match and sort of how you used a lot of what you learned from your parents in that moment we'll but we'll get into that a little bit later but one of the things that I did notice, and it's something that I've only done in the last couple of years myself, and I wish I'd done it when I played, but meditating. Um, I think it's something, would you suggest it's something that you would tell parents or young kids or players that are in sports in general, or just in general terms, like to meditate and to take that time to sort of get into the now and try and alleviate some of the stress from your body by, by just doing meditation? Yeah, I think it should be a daily practice for literally anyone, not only in sports, um, because you see everybody working their body, 
but never their mind. And that's also because people don't necessarily talk about meditation. I think we're still in that stage where it's kind of hippie to do so. Um, but you see so much benefit from it. And there are so many studies that shows that it improves overall quality of life. Um, if you can control your mind, you can control basically every aspect in your life. Um, the main reason that I use it, though, is obviously um, for my sport, but also for just my quality of life in general, which um, translate to um, on-court things. And for me, I believe that it really puts you in the present moment because at the end of the day, that's all we have. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We can't um, control what happens in the past because it's already left us. So what we can't control is the present moment. And if you can control that, then you have complete power over yourself and over what happens in your life. Okay, so again, we're going to get into like how much also the, your parents, particularly um, your mom Maria, and the things that she's had. Well, you, both your parents instilled in you after that you were open. But I want to go back to the start of 2019 when you had that incredible run, right? You you win Auckland. Can we just briefly touch on like Auckland and going through qualifying and sort of what your goals were at the start of 2019 when when you're in literally in qualifying of Auckland and sort of what your goals were there. Yeah, um, going back and thinking about everything that happened, I can't really explain to you everything in a way that makes sense, because even for me, it doesn't really make sense. Um, I think, though, that I've worked just super hard um but in a smart way throughout my whole life in order to get this point obviously I've had a lot of setbacks um and there were moments where I just I just wanted to quit um I was going through really rough periods oh um it was back in 2017 I had a really bad back injury. Um, I was on and off um, with my recovery and competing. And I had a lot of other areas in my life, like relationships that weren't going well, friendships that weren't going well, and just my tennis overall. I, I literally felt like I forgot how to play tennis. I used to have nightmares of me not knowing how to play tennis anymore. It was bad, and I felt like that controlled a lot of um, my daily life. And I just really tried to – it's tough to, to explain. I would say I really tried to not let that affect me where – I would just not think about it, but I think that's the worst way to 
look at things when you are going through a tough time. You really have to sit down with yourself and really recognize and look through another perspective of like what's going what's really going on in your life and that took me a while to actually do but I think from that moment on I really I really realized what the purpose of my life was and what I really enjoyed doing and I just found a lot of things about myself that ended up contributing to my success. And I really devote a lot of that to what happened in 2019. And that also came from my amazing preseason that I had. I remember I didn't lose one set in all the matches that I played, all the all the practice matches that I played. So going into 2019, I just felt really, really confident. I didn't think all of that was going to happen. Not at all. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to step on the court and beat Caroline Wozniacki in straight sets. Um, I didn't know that I was actually going to go through qualifying because in the second round, I think it was, or third round, yeah. um, I, I played near Babosh. Yeah, I thought... Oh yeah, her. Yeah, that match is crazy. Yeah. Like I, I remember in the second set, I'm like, okay, if I lose this set, or I don't, I don't remember which set it was. If I lose this set, it I'm was, gonna lose. You the lost match. the first set. You lost the first okay, set six three, three, and you won six three six three. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Maybe I think it was the match against Tamia Babosh. No, no, no. It was the second set. I think I won the second set seven six, and I'm like, if I lose this set. I'm like definitely gonna lose this match. I remember telling myself that and um I remember not losing it and from that day on I made a promise to myself that I'm never going to talk negatively to myself like I did in that match ever again. Well and well I never did. I honestly. Well, it's a good thing. I never did. I know, but it took like, it took 10 years for me to actually accomplish, uh, no, nine years for me to actually accomplish that. And it's not like I've never said, um, oh, you suck. Like sometimes that obviously slips my head, but it's a learning process at the end of the day. But I think just switching that negative mindset and just accepting what is and not identifying anything as good or bad really changed my way of competing. And that was the main, well, I would say that was the main thing to my success in 2019. Well, I can tell you, you won the first set 6-4, you won the second set 7-6, 6 in the breaker. So if you want to yeah, refer back yeah. to one match, then that was it. And And you actually... After that, you beat Caroline in straight. And then you actually lost two, two first sets in the next matches against Venus and Gerges in the final, where you lost the first set. So it's important for people to understand that that, that was a huge learning curve for you and, and moving forward. Then you went on to win a, a smaller tournament in Newport Beach. And then, of course, the big, the biggest tournament of your career at that point was 
Indian Wells and, and coming through there. Yeah. I mean, the, the excitement level for you there, I mean, you won your first round there in, in the round of, in the round of 128 for the first round, 6-3 in the third to get to Begu. And then you obviously went on to have an incredible tournament being Wang Xiang, Nugarutha, Spitalina and Kerber in the final. I mean, those were crazy moments in your life. Can you describe what that meant to you after the tournament was done and what the hell was going on with you? You were just like, what is going on here? I mean, Oh yeah, I I was telling myself after after literally every match I'm like is this really happening? Like can someone please pinch me because as a little girl like I remember watching Federer, watching Serena, watching Kim Kleisters play in these tournaments and for me actually being there and doing the same thing was so surreal for me. Um, I never thought that it would have come so soon, but I'm not complaining. I'm not no, complaining. No, I wouldn't complain. I wouldn't complain this either. Is, I mean, yeah. I want to, I want to get to, I want to get to, you know, after that, you, you obviously go to Miami and, and you've talked ad nauseum, I would suspect in the last 12 months about your injuries. You know, I, I don't want to get into that part of it with you because it's like, this is what happens with tennis players. You get injured. Yeah. You have to deal with it. You have to rehab. It's a very difficult situation. I think what the hardest no, thing you, people don't understand. You've been there. This episode of the Racket Magazine podcast is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, revitalizing and disrupting the status quo since 1966. Follow them on Instagram at Sergio Tacchini underscore official and go to SergioTacchini.com for more. Enter the promo code RACKETMAG at checkout and you'll get 30% off your order. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The injuries are one thing, the rehab the worst. And then it's coming back. And the difficult thing about coming back from an injury is reacclimating yourself to playing matches. Well, you decide mm-hmm. to play literally one match in between that from Miami <laughs> to Canada, all right, where you're, again, dealing with more injuries, shoulder, you've got all kinds of issues going on. And then you come back and you have to play Bouchard in the first round of Canada. But prior to that, B, I want to know, as hard as injuries are and hard as they are to deal with, 
was it kind of a small silver lining for you because of all the exposure that you had had after winning Indian Wells and Canada's like, oh, my God, you're like this huge new prospect for them. Was it kind of a little bit of a silver lining or a blessing, a bad blessing, but a blessing that you actually were able to extricate yourself away from the spotlight a little bit prior to mm-hmm. what you did in Canada and then we know at the US Open? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, you either have a choice of uh, looking at it as a negative or a positive. And for me, like I've dealt with injuries already so much in my short career. So um, going into that shoulder injury, I was kind of prepared because I already knew what to do and what to expect. Obviously, different circumstances, different environment, blah, 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 because now I'm whatever top 30 or something. Um, and I'm playing on a WTA tour, I'm getting all this exposure. So it was different, but I knew what I was expecting. And in the sense of, yeah, did it allow me to take a little break? Because all this is new for me, I was getting so much exposure. I would say yes, in a way. Um, because after all that exposure, I kind of had some downtime for myself um Mm -hmm. which allowed me to um look back at things that had happened in my life and are happening in my life so Mm -hmm. i i would say that if i did continue playing then this then the spotlight would probably continue and maybe i wouldn't have one Rogers Cup, I wouldn't have one US Open. But at the end of the day we could all think about what could have happened. Um all I know though is that during that time I didn't stop competing. I was always competing in my head with visualization and a lot of athletes have spoke about that and it's worked for me. And I think so what were you visualizing? Give me, a, give me a sense. Literally me competing. Like I would pretend like I was playing um, like Rome and Madrid, like all the tournaments I was supposed to play, you know. And mm-hmm. I keep this journal with me um, where I write down – I write down, uh, sorry, Coco came into the room. Um, I write down. Coco the dog, if everybody doesn't know. <laughs> the doggy, the one and only. Um, I write down sentences of mm-hmm. tournaments I want to win. And mm-hmm. I knew that Rogers Cup would be my comeback tournament. So I would always write, I won Rogers Cup 2020. I won Rogers Cup 2020. And then after that, I did the same thing with US Open. And I think just having that in mind and having that visual goal gets you one step closer to that. I always say that if you come prepared, then you've won half the battle. And for me being injured, I just had so much to prepare for, you know, 
So I had that time to reflect and it's it's got me where I am right now. Is it does that come from your mom's influence on you in that respect with the visualization part of your career? Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh she's definitely one of those hippie people as people would call it. Um but no, I would people say gotta not. start waking up, man. This is the new world. <laughs> Get used to it. This is the it was your it's, your dad is an engineer, so would your dad be like, okay, Maria, whatever, whatever? Yeah. Or would he be like, yeah? <laughs> yeah, no, no, he's definitely yeah, like yeah, okay, Maria, let's let's see if this works. Blah 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 blah. Um. Well, did he, did he have to? My dad's got to realize that it does. He'll never admit it, <laughs> but he knows it works. <laughs> Okay, so you go and play Bouchard, you know, first round. Okay, so it's kind of the two darlings of women's Canadian sports over the last, like, five years, right? And you get through an unbelievably tough match. I mean, mentally, was that as hard a match, an emotional match, as you've ever had to get through? And did that sort of, like, almost relieve you going forward? Um, it's, yeah, um, I would say that it was definitely uh one of the tougher matches I had to play in my career because it was my first match after injury. Um I was playing a Canadian tennis player at a Canadian tournament. So there's definitely a lot of pressure, um external, internal whatever pressure. Um but in the back of my mind I knew I had nothing to lose. I know I just won Indian Wells, but that was like five months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew that I came prepared. Obviously, it's different than actually playing matches, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. There's so many studies show that it is like visualizing and actually playing um can be quite the same thing so I kind of had that in the back of my mind um and even in practice I was feeling confident but there's always going to be that pressure and for me um I actually live off the pressure like I love it I I'm a perfectionist I want to do my best and so I kind of just channel it on the court with my shots like when there's a little bit more pressure like I can feel like my ball's heavier and I can feel that I just want it a little bit more than the other person. Oh, well, you're inspiring me. I want to get back on the court right now, but, <laughs> but listen, <laughs> we, you know, you, you fast forward to the U S open and I have a bit of a funny story that, that I told people after the U S open. And I don't know if you remember it because, you know, it meant a lot to me because I remember what you said and you won your first round okay at the u.s open so you win the rogers cup it's the biggest moment of your life you go now into the u.s open now a lot of eyes are on you because this is not no fluke right you've just won two of the biggest tournaments on the tour okay in indian wells and the rogers cup you go into the u.s open you win your first round at the u.s open against um Volinets from the US of A, okay, which, you know, for you was a fairly good first round of house against not a player with a lot of experience. 
But you walk off the court. You, yeah. I walked past you as you were walking into the underground area at the US Open with the bodyguards around you and everything. And I said, hey, well done. I said, six more to go. And you yep. said, yeah. I, re- I remember six- that. Holy crap. And, you st- and I said, what? And, and you said, yeah, six more to go. And I remember turning around, Bianca, and I swear to you on my life, I went, holy shit. Like, she fully Like, you felt that. that. You felt that. I felt that wow. at that moment. Wow. Do you remember that? I do remember you saying that. Um, obviously, there was a lot going on, but now that you mention it again, yeah, I do remember it. And after, I wouldn't say that after that match, I knew it was going to happen. But I do have this mindset of fake it till you make it. And that's kind of what I had throughout the whole tournament because I had a lot of tough matches. And oh yeah, it's not like I didn't have any doubt in my mind um, that maybe I I would have lost a match or who knows what could have happened, you know, because you don't know what exactly can happen. So I kind of had that had that mindset and that comes from just believing in yourself and believing in yourself is a really important tool to have and it also came from the year that I I've had as well because that comes believing in yourself comes with confidence and I would say I did feel very confident during the US Open. Uh, yeah. So uh, the last couple of questions. Just, I'm so I'm so thankful for you for joining us. Just I tell you what you're telling people today is going to teach kids so much of the importance of like self belief. But the biggest moment of self belief had to come in the final against Serena, and I was courtside for that match. And I remember the moment where Serena came back, and the crowd was going bananas. Okay, and I've never heard a crowd like that. Obviously, the US Open with the roof the way it is, it really sucks in the um, the noise a lot more than any other slam. But I remember oh my you, I believe, when it went even at 5-all, you put your fingers to your ears to block out the noise. How much and what were you telling yourself at that very moment when it got back to even? And how much did, like, the meditation part and the visualization part come into play right at that moment for you? Um, Do I just make you nervous? When? <laughs> no, it, it gets me what? excited because it. I never, I never think about what has had happened in my career. Um, I'm not that type of person to just dwell on the past. I kind of just like to keep a present mindset. Um, so when people start talking about the U.S. Open again, it just gets me excited because I, that, that was like the best moment of my life, you know. And if I could like pinpoint um, a moment in that match, uh, it would definitely have to be the crowd. But in that specific moment, I legit told myself, I'm like, I'm going to win as many points as possible so the crowd would stop cheering for Serena because it was getting way too freaking loud for me. So in that moment, 
I literally gave like 150% more than any other match and more than I have that entire match already. You know, because obviously that comeback got the crowd going and I legit told myself, and I don't know, something clicked in my mind. Um, that probably comes from all the meditating I do, um, and being able to like recenter myself. Um, but in that moment, I literally like, I got into the zone where even if I did lose a point, I wouldn't even hear the crowd as much because everything kind of slows down for me and I kind of just become one with myself and I literally just go out there and do my thing. I trust myself. I trust my shots and I don't even pay attention on who's on the other side. And fuck like that took me a couple of years to be able to get into that state. But damn, it, it really helped me conquer that moment because Serena's, has a history of comebacks like she's the comeback queen so being able to kind of get that away from her was just like an incredible moment in my life well i um i refer back to that match as one of the most intimidating matches that i've ever sat in a crowd for or watched and i think the way that you handle that is a lesson for every young player that you if you just take a breath sometimes and try and enjoy it and use it to your advantage rather than see it as a burden. I think that's an incredible um, thing for any anybody to, to witness. But, um, but listen, 100%. these are uh, difficult times. We are actually doing this um, pod in the middle of um, us all being self-quarantined basically at home during the coronavirus. Hopefully when we release this, we'll have a little bit of an idea what the rest of the year looks like for tennis fans and and for you and you know, you coming back from yet another injury. And I suspect that when you do come back, you're going to be one player that everyone's going to have to absolutely watch out for. Because if anyone can take six months off and come back, (laughs) it is you. So um, we're really grateful, B, for coming on the show, for talking about everything you've gone through over the last 12 months. We love your mom so much. We love your dad, but he's just not quite as talkative as your mom. So we want to tell Maria hi. She's kind of just there. We can't wait to see her and Coco in the crowd again. We can't wait to have tennis back again. But more importantly, we can't wait to see you continue to win because you're such a great, fun player to watch. Creativity, you've got that Romanian craziness in you with the shot selections. And so we just want to really say thanks so much for joining us today. You are so sweet. Thank you. And I hope my uh life experiences can give insight to other people and um i really think that we should keep that after first match win routine um <laughs> like when you say <laughs> one down six more to go i think we should just keep that going who knows <laughs> yeah who, who knows? Hey, listen, if you bump into me, I promise you, no matter what and how many matches you've got to go to win the tournament, I promise I'll tell you. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. All right, Bianca. Nice talking Thanks, Bianca. To you. Say hi to your family. Stay safe. Hi, um, I and will. We'll see you real quick. Okay. Bye. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson, picked by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. 
thanks to Tim or Jerry and the team at ACAST. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. 